Hello, everybody. This is your AS Natural Health Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Eisner, and today we have Lauren LaRose on the show. She's from Texas and recently moved to Long Beach, California. She works in the education tech she works where she works in education technology and on the side is a house DJ, which has taken her all over the world. Like me, she has an AS diagnosis. AS dev- devastated her life for over a decade. She was in extreme pain and felt all alone and like no one understood her. She searched for relief and she found it. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Lauren. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Great. Um, before we start, I just wanted to reveal to you to confess to you that I was a big raver when I was a kid, and I <laughs> and I danced a lot to house music, and um, now I even still listen to techno a lot. Love techno. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love house and techno. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So anyway, I think it's really cool. You're a DJ. Had to say that. Hey, thanks. You got it. Um, so to dive right in, what, um, what were you like before those symptoms began? I was young. Um, I had my first symptoms about the age of twenty-three, so uh, that's fifteen years ago. I had beginning symptoms, and actually I had a few a little bit earlier than that. I had some tendon issues when I was in high school, and I played on the tennis team. So I had to sit out my varsity uh, senior varsity year because of inflammation in my tendons. Um, but back then, they just called it an overuse injury and just kind of put it at that. And as I got a little older, uh, things started moving and getting more inflamed in my body. Um, but before that, I was on the tennis team, and... I was moving a lot and athletic and going out and fun and spunky and had a lot of friends and everyone wanted to spend time with me. (laughs) And um, by the age of 23, um, you know, the pain started kicking in and the fear started kicking in and things really changed. Um, I became more of a homebody and um, spent a lot of time alone. Hmm. Okay, cool. Um, What was what were the symptoms exactly besides that? Um, tendonitis when it started? I had an unexplainable pain behind my left shoulder blade. And uh, it hurt so bad. Um, I started seeing any doctor I could. You know, you start off with the orthopedic and you get all of the scans and really nothing was coming up um, at all. So I saw many, many doctors and even went through my first course of opiates back then. Um, anti-anxiety medicines, they try to put you on antidepressants, you know, everything they can, but no one had an explanation. And this went on for many years, and then it traveled to my lower back and my hips, and then things started getting a little more clear as far as a diagnosis for arthritis. Um, I finally found an amazing doctor who was an Eastern slash Western medicine doctor, And I asked him to perform the blood work to check my inflammation levels. Um, And they were just skyrocketed. Um, And it's amazing that it took them that long (laughs) to Hmm. test my inflammation levels. I mean, that whole process was probably 10 years. Wow. Um, I just felt like the whole 10 years I was trying to search for an answer. And I felt like no one believed me. Um, because I look healthy on the outside, and I was miserable on the inside, and people thought I was drug-seeking or attention-seeking, um, but I was just seeking an answer, and it was fully consuming my entire life. It affected my relationships, my career, uh, my hobbies, everything, and it was just a downward spiral until I finally did get the diagnosis of ankylosing spondylitis, um, but from there, it even got a little bit harder before it got better. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, tell me about how hard things got. Say, well, tell me a little bit more about how hard things got before you were diagnosed, and then once you were diagnosed, tell us what happened. Sure. Um, it's really hard emotionally. You know, your friends and family only know how to support you up to a certain extent. Um, at some point, 
you feel like you can't ask for help any longer. You know, you've asked for help for a couple of years and people run out of help to give. Um, at some point, you just can't ask anymore. So I would pay my friends to help me, you know, people who needed side work or people pay what? a service. Pay people to help me, like, around the house. Oh, okay. All right. With housework or whatnot, um, whatever I needed done, I would just pay people to help me because, hmm. <laughs> you know, you run out of friends helping um, after a couple of years of that. Um, I had a few really bad months where I couldn't even bathe myself. I had to have a girlfriend, you know, help me in and out of the bath. I couldn't walk. Um, my entire body, every, it seemed like it was every tendon that connected to every joint in my body was inflamed. Mm. So just even walking or taking a bath were just impossibly hard. Wow. Yeah, it was really bad. Were you able to work um, at your job? Um, barely. Um, I did have a couple employers through the process that, uh, were pretty supportive. I could work from home, um, on a flexible schedule, kind of, I would go in when I needed to and come home early and work. Um, so I'm very fortunate I was able to continue supporting myself, but, you know, I was always the first candidate for layoffs when layoffs would come around in the tech industry. Um, if you're not present, you know, you're usually first on the list or if you've asked for special considerations, you know, it, you're the first one on the list. It doesn't matter how much work that you put in while you were healthy or while things were going great. You know, you could work, I worked 80 hours a week sometimes at these trade shows and just working extra hard. And at the end of the day, you know, your employer looks at you as a number. So um, to get laid off quite a bit and just felt like, they had to make accommodations, and I felt bad always having to ask for special things. Um, but I was able to continue working most of the time. Okay, great. Yeah, you're lucky. Um, I yeah. guess in that in that respect. Um, yeah. What? Uh, so you say the pain was in your in your hip, like sacroiliac joint kind of pain, like that pain deep in your hip kind of thing. And then lower back, spine, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, upper back, um, I guess head, shoulders, knees, and toes, right? Um, I had uh, occipital migraines a lot mm. where the tendons would connect to the back of your head. I'd get really bad inflammation in my head, and it would oh. wrap around to the front of my head. Oh. So that was painful. And then I had just my shoulders on the outsides of my shoulders, uh, the tendons in the outside where you raise your arms. And then I had pain under my shoulders, like in my armpits, um, the pain behind my shoulder blades, my lower back, my SI joints, my hips, my front of my hips, the sciatica pain all the way down my legs. That would affect my knees. I would get really bad plantar fasciitis in my feet where the tendons connect to the back of your foot. I'd wake up in the middle of the night screaming in pain because it hurt so bad. And then finally, um, I did get, I started to get some rashes on my feet um, and they were, you know, psoriatic arthritis is the same gene. It's that HLA B27 gene that is ankylosing spondylitis. <clears throat> so uh, they kind of go together. So I thought, you know, with all of those things hurting, I was desperate and I took some drastic steps because I was really trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And I, I found these specialty doctors in Denver, Colorado, uh, which wasn't even my home state, uh, that diagnosed me with something called um, thoracic outlet syndrome, which is basically um, your thoracic outlet up by your shoulder compressing the nerve branch, causing the pain under my shoulder blade. Well, at least that's what they thought. So I went out there for a small procedure, which when I was there, they told me, well, you may as well just do the full-blown procedure for thoracic outlet syndrome since you're here. And I had uh, been laid off, so I had some time off work and I had health insurance. So I said yes, but that was probably the dumbest move that I made. I was just so desperate to figure out what was wrong and get any sort of relief that I let them uh, take out my first rib. Like they... 
cracked my first rib off my rib cage. Yes. On, on top or below? The on, first one at the top. Wait, okay. So well. they went in under my uh, under my armpit, ripped out my first rib, cut my muscle in my neck, my scalene, cut my pec minor muscle under my um, you know under your arm here, and in the process they puncture my lung. Um, I had pleurisy, pneumonia. I was in the hospital for 12 days in Denver and then came home on oxygen tanks and in a wheelchair. Um, and that whole recovery took about six months. I was literally laid out for four or five months, completely on the highest doses of opiates that there, there is. And at the end of the day, that wasn't the problem. Um, I've learned at this point with the inflammation that I take longer to heal than most people anyways. And it, it was awful. It was just awful. Wait, what were you just saying about how you take longer to heal? What's that? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't think that's true. But uh, when, I'm, when I had a lot of inflammation, it just seemed like any time I would get any sort of minor surgery or anything, it would just take longer to heal than most people just because of the inflammation. I had sinus surgery, um, and they removed my adenoids and tonsils again as an adult. And, you know, that recovery time was also a couple of years, I mean, a couple of months longer than most people. Okay. So, okay. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Just because of the inflammation. And so, you know, I didn't, I knew later when I met that great Eastern Western medicine doctor, he said, never let anyone cut you unless it's an emergency. Hmm. Right. And I'm like, Oh, that makes total sense. But I wish I would have known that earlier, but I was just so desperate so desperate for any relief. No, absolutely. I, I get that, and, and I hear that from other people, and that was my experience. I mean, I, I would have done almost anything, you know, if someone told me that they thought it would help make me feel better. I get it. Um, and I'm sorry that happened to you. That's, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard of that before. Um, so you recovered. It took you six months, and you were on massive doses of, of opiates, uh, what happened after that? Oh, man. It's um, a good question. I would say I found that Eastern Western medicine doctor after that, and oh. that is where I moved into it. And ironically, that doctor uh, has, had also had a diagnosis of ankylosing spondylitis, wow. and he didn't take any medicine for it. Um, he handled it through diet, exercise, and mindfulness, and I just really didn't believe him that it was possible. And, um, of course, he helped me. Um, he's, he still gave me pain medicines because uh, he was Eastern Western medicine. But at the end of the day, he was right in a lot of ways. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. What did he prescribe you? Interesting. So, um, you know, going into him... I think I had already detoxed off of all the post-surgical. But, I mean, post-surgical I was on... Um, oh god roxycodone and the extended release ones what are those uh, anyways pretty much the strongest stuff in multiples that you can get short acting long acting all of that um, actually I ended up in rehab now that I think about it after surgery after surgery yeah after those yeah, six months yeah, I did. I crumbled. Um, my mom passed away in the surgery, and everything just came crumbling on, on me. And I was so addicted to these pain medicines, physically dependent on them, that I needed help, actually. So I went inpatient uh, for a total of four weeks. Inpatient? Get, what's, what's that? Uh, inpatient rehab to help with the detox from the opiates. And was this the, um, uh, the center... Uh, the Driftwood Center um, in southern southern. No, Boston? actually, I went to one in San Antonio, and then I thought I was finished after two weeks, and I was going to join an outpatient program back in Austin. I think this was like the Star Recovery Center in Austin, and I went in for my outpatient interview, and he looked at me and he said, "You're not detoxed," because they let me leave with like Ativan or some other addicted substance. So he put me back inpatient for two more weeks. So I was in for four weeks trying to get off the opiates. And, it was terrible. Okay, so um, I, I, 
<laughs> sorry, I'm just catching up with this here. Okay, it's so a lot. I'm it's sorry. a lot. It's a lot that's <laughs> happened to you. Um, yeah. You yeah. okay? So you had this horrific surgery. They put you on tons of opiates. You became addicted over six months, and then you sought help. And Western, your doctor, Western medicine said, "Go to this um, rehab clinic." I don't know what to call it. What do you say? say inpatient? Inpatient rehabilitation. Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah, is that, basically they call it detox, you know, detox. inpatient. Is that detox. common for people that are coming, that are out of surgery and have been on medication for a long time? That they go yes. to these, okay. Yes, it's very common. Um, stopping opiates is one of the hardest things to do in this world and in this life. And so when you're ready to stop taking them, um, there's no comfortable, well, at the time I didn't think there was a comfortable way to do it and I needed help. Um, I was not functioning and I just needed help. So, uh, I found it at the time, but that wasn't the end of the story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Okay. So, um, you spent four weeks in the inpatient rehabilitation center. Um, yeah. after that, did you feel clear of the opiates? I felt clear of the opiates, but I still had the pain. Right. Uh, yeah, and it proceeded to just get worse. And um, I found the Eastern Western Western medical doctor. We had the blood tests. He sent me to rheumatology. Went through a lot of tests with the rheumatologist. Um, saw multiple rheumatologists, and it was diagnosed as ankylosing spondylitis. And from there, it just goes through the process, right? You go through the steroids, and then you go through the methotrexate. And then you go through the humeras and the embryos. And then I found myself in even worse shape. So you, you, um, were, on, you were on DMODs, NSAIDs, and you tried biologics? All of it, yes. Holy cow. All of it. <laughs> yeah, I was on methotrexate and <laughs> embryol at the same time. Um, and I felt horrible. I felt way worse. Um, I kept getting sick, like with sinus infections and just my quality of life was just terrible. And so when I was talking to my uh, Eastern Western medical doctor, uh, he said, you know what? These shots are not good for you. The he's like, they're not. Yeah. He's like, they're not proven over a long period of time. You have side effects of cancer. You're completely messing with your immune system. He's like, honestly, I'd rather see you on a lifetime of opiates than on these medicines. I know. He's like, we at least know what a lifetime of opiates looks like. Okay, that's But true. we don't know what it looks like for the humeras and embryos. And each time I would go take a sh- try to give myself a shot, I would just, like, stop myself. Like, what am I doing? This does not feel like the right thing to do. I cannot believe that my body is fighting itself so hard that I'm giving myself these shots. And so I just stared at my second or third sample pack of a different kind of shot in the fridge for months and I'm like I can't I just can't do this I can't give myself these shots and so I went back on opiates again wow and so um, through the same doctor he prescribed you the opiates again a different different doctor but it was that eastern western guy yeah we we started light and I guess I just have like a super big tolerance to opiates like I can take a lot in my tolerance goes up really quickly and so it just starts with like basic you go in and this isn't helping and then they add more that's not helping you go up to the maximum dosage on that particular pain medicine okay well that's not working let's switch you to fentanyl patches okay let's try that for a while tried that for two or three months it wasn't working i was still in constant withdrawals okay let's go back to what you were taking but let's take extended release pain medicine three times a day instead of two times a day Next thing you know, I was on the highest dose of extended release pain medicines. And so. Uh, <laughs> Just listening to you, I can feel my body going through all this stuff. Uh, it's yes. incredible. Like you're taking me on a journey right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it was intense. And so uh, at some point, um, in that process, I was just miserable and, uh, you know, I'd been through the detox before and I was sad and scared and I got my diagnosis and my doctor said that I would have this chronic disease forever and I didn't know any better and I believed them 
And then you start going into that victim mentality, right? Like, why me? And is this how the rest of my life is going to be? And I don't want to live this way. I mean, I had suicidal thoughts. I'm like, if this is going to be what I feel like the rest of my life, then I don't want to do this. I, I can't do it, you know, and I can't do it alone. And I just, I can't, I can't deal. And so um, I can move into how everything shifted if you want. I'd love to, love to hear. Okay. Yeah. So I'm a researcher and I just kept researching and researching and then these stories started coming up about remission from ankylosing spondylitis. Um, and I found a video on YouTube of Ralph Ruiz, um, this coach for ankylosing spondylitis, saying, it is possible. I've known many people to go in remission from ankylosing spondylitis. I've been in remission from ankylosing spondylitis. And I just could not believe it. I could, I'm like, really? How'd you do that? You know? So I found him on Facebook, Ralph Ruiz. I found him and I added him as a friend and I sent him a message on Messenger and I said, hey, like I'm super interested in the work you're doing. Like, how did you do this? <laughs> right? And he's like, well, do you want to talk about it? I'm like, yeah, I'd love to talk about it. And literally like 10 minutes later, we were on the phone for like an hour and he told me all about it. And I, for the first time, felt hopeful, right? I felt completely hopeful, and Ralph added me to a Facebook group called the Ankylosing Spondylitis Victors Association. Um, previously, I was in some Facebook groups for Ankylosing Spondylitis on Facebook, and it almost made me feel worse, right? It was like the, these groups of just misery and, oh, you know, I'm hurting in my life and all of the, it was just like negativity constantly. And, you know, you read other people's stories and then you think you're going to be like them forever. And it's misery loves company. And so shifting into this AS Victor's group um, was a complete awakening for me. Um, I eventually even left the other groups because I couldn't even stand to read those posts anymore. Like I just knew that it wasn't helping me. Uh, to commiserate in my misery. Um, so when I joined the AS Victors group on Facebook, um, I met Peter Winslow, who is a genius um, for recovery from chronic disease, which I think you know Peter Winslow. Um, he's written many, many books and has so many wise things to say. Uh, but he did a free book club for Eckhart Tolle, A New Earth. And it was maybe three months and once a week we read a chapter of the book and even in that book like every single page of that book is so powerful that you could have a whole co you know a whole session on the phone of just talking about one page of that book um, and he had taught a class on it before so it was just the most intriguing discussion and I had never even really heard about mindfulness at that point um, I'd heard about meditation but I didn't really understand what it meant to be present and to practice non-reaction and mindfulness. And when I started learning uh, about the ego and about the automatic thought processes, it changed my life completely. Um, I was able to stand back from my thoughts and notice immediately when they started going down a spiral of negativity or um, they would start, my thoughts would start like, oh, ouch, I'm hurting. And then they would proceed into oh, man, my whole week is shot. You know, I'm going into a flare. Oh, I shouldn't have eaten this food. And then my thoughts would keep going down. Why is this happening to me? This is going to be forever. And it would cycle into now I want to jump off the balcony, you know, or drive my car off a bridge. Like it would happen in 10, you know, five seconds, 10 seconds. But these thought patterns kept occurring throughout each and every day. And so learning mindfulness, I was able to catch the thought at, ouch, that hurts, and not let it go further down in the spiral to stop it and to kind of laugh at myself and be like, we're not going there. I know where you're going. We're not going to go there. This leads to wanting to jump off the balcony. <laughs> I see you. Ha, 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 right? <laughs> that was huge for me. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize you, I didn't realize I was doing that. Wow. So, um, did you did you get coached by Peter or Ralph privately after the book club? 
So after the book club, uh, they did a group coaching session uh, with, I think there was probably 10 of us on this group coaching session, and it was three or four months of the group coaching. And between the book club and after a few weeks of the group coaching, I was in remission. Like, my symptoms were completely gone. (laughs) What? Yeah, I know. Like, completely gone. And so this was probably... um, I always think that it's two years ago, but it really has only been uh, about a year and year and a half, probably. Yeah. Since all of that, you know, I was just going back and listening to some recordings from our group coaching, and uh, they were still happening a year from today. Um, and the first couple calls, I was still not in a good place, and then so about October, I was all the way in remission last year. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Oh. that's out of this world um yes did you how long did it take you to get off the um the demods and the um tell me yeah tell me about getting off of the prescription medicine and even if opiates if you were still getting off. yeah sure so the first step um i was taking high doses of steroids like so many steroids that i gained 45 pounds and for me i mean i weigh 100 pounds just naturally, I weigh, I, I go between like 105 down to like 97. Like that's just been my range my whole life. So when I went up to 147 pounds, wow. yeah. I was very uncomfortable. I was not good. Um, and so the first step was stopping the steroids. And I did change my diet. Um, I took out the starches and the sugars as much as possible. Got off those medi- like the steroids and was able to drop the weight. So that was huge. That was the first step. And it dropped off. The weight dropped off in like three or four months just by, you know, stopping the medicine and then stopping um, the starches for a little while. Um, and then it was, I had just made up my mind about the shots. I just wasn't going to do it, you know. And then by October, when I was in remission, I had made up my mind, like, I'm ready to be off opiates. But that is a slow process. It is not something that you can just decide to stop and be done. So when I moved to California in October, I was already ready to stop taking opiates. Um, And I found it was really hard to get in with a pain medicine specialist in Long Beach here in California. It seemed to be a little bit easier in Texas, but I don't know if it was because I would cross state lines or the laws are different or what, but they had a month-long waiting list to get in with these doctors and I only had like three weeks of medicine left from Texas. And that caused like huge amounts of stress in my world. Like I can't detox right now. I just moved here. I started a new job. You know, I'm running out of medicines. I don't know what to do. Am I going to have to go to the emergency room? Like I was really scared. Um, but I did get in with the doctor. And then, of course, um, he gave me a prescription. And then there was a wait to get the prescription filled because my insurance needed to approve the medicine because it was such a high dose that it's not something that's FDA approved at that dose. So, And then the pharmacy wouldn't fill it because they thought that I was a drug seeker. Like I had to file a, a complaint with the board of pharmacy in Long Beach about this particular pharmacy. Like The whole thing was just like my worst nightmare, right? So luckily this doctor was really great and he recognized that I really wanted to be off opiates, but he said, Hey, look, Christmas is a month from now. You've had a really rough go. Why don't we just leave you where you're at? Come back in January and we'll start going down on your medicines. And so I went back in January and we started cutting down. Um, and I tapered from January to April. And then, I mean, That whole time I was so sick still from opiate withdrawals, even every time I would go down just a tiny bit, I would feel really, really sick. Um, And I got to the very end and I was just really sick and I was still on small amounts, but still probably more than most people. Um, But I was desperate and I had this job and it was really stressful. I was in the office full time. Um, And my doctor wrote me a note that said, um, please allow Lauren to work from home for a month while... She deals with some health things. And so I worked from home for a month. Um, He kind of cycled me through the tapers. I went from extended release to immediate release, Um, like three pills a day, two pills the next day, three, two, two, one, two, one, and just tapered as much as I possibly could. 
and then stopped. But when I stopped, I mean, I was still really sick. You know, they call it kicking heroin for a reason. You, your legs like flail. You don't get any sleep. You feel so anxious. Like anything, just you just want to shake and explode. Like ah, I just want to scream. Like you're just so uncomfortable. It's the worst feeling ever. And that's why people relapse. And that's why people die of heroin. And that's why people who are on opiates and they go to heroin. And it's even with the I had the most gradual taper over four months. I was still so sick like I had just stopped heroin um, and a friend of mine introduced me to a plant called kratom and kratom I had never heard of kratom uh, some people call it kratom some people call it kratom uh, kratom is a plant from Southeast Asia that's in the family of the coffee uh, leaf the coffee plant um, and they've been using it in Southeast Asia to help people with opium withdrawals for a long time, as well as helping people with chronic pain, because it does hit your opiate receptors. It, the way that my doctor explained it was it tickles your opiate receptors. It's not an opioid. It doesn't work like an opioid, um, but it just tickles the receptors. And it, I found it. My friend had some. I tried it, and I felt so much better, like so much better I could sleep, and this was only on, like, the second day of my withdrawals. And I'm like, wow, what is this stuff? Is this cheating? Like, what am I doing? Like, is this stuff really bad for you? Like, I yeah. thought it was cheating. Like, I've been through this a few times. And so I talked to my doctor about it here in California, and he said, no, if it's working for you, it's okay. Just don't take too much of it. But, like, if you need a break, take it. He was even like, if you need a break, take another Percocet. And I was, I did not want to take another <laughs> Percocet, you know. Yeah. Even at ten days out, I'm like, he's like, take another. Per I'm like, I do not want any more opiates. <laughs> um, so he was on board with it. I did a lot of research. Um, it's really only contraindicated in a, a few things like liver. People with liver problems probably shouldn't use it. Uh, stomach, it might be a little rough on the stomach because it is a plant material. Um, like a powdered leaf, basically. Uh, and really, outside of those two things, um, it can cause dehydration, so you have to drink a whole lot of water, speaking of. <laughs> um, so I, I joined a forum on Facebook, a couple of them, and then found a group that I really liked called Kratom Recovery from Opiates. And this was back in April. Um, so I had a support group for that and, um, I had my doctor support with the Kratom. I took the Kratom on my bad times or if I needed to go to something while I was withdrawing, tried to only use it sparingly and it saved my life. Like it is a miracle plant. Um, if I could go backwards, like I would have not tapered for four months. I would have tapered a little bit to get to a more reasonable dosage, maybe for like a month and maybe even use Kratom with it. A little bit to help with the withdrawals through that. Um, I would have done it differently. I would have relied more on kratom, essentially. Uh, but I was scared, and it felt like I was cheating, and I didn't understand. And then, like, um, you know, those withdrawals last like five or six weeks. So even when I did go back to work, I was not feeling great for a few weeks. Um, but then it ends, right? It ends. You did. You don't get into those situations in a week. And you can't get out of them in a week, right? So it took about six weeks. Wow. And so I've been completely opiate-free since uh, April. Since and April. now, I'm, wow. yeah, I'm doing great. I'm feeling great. <laughs> it's amazing. That is incredible. <laughs> I know. Congratulations. Thank you. A, yes, I'm a new human. It's a re yeah, I bet you feel like a totally <laughs> different person. Yeah. Um, what was it? Um, one of the things that really surprised me about your story just then was how ankylosing spondylitis didn't come back when you were so stressed out and coming off the, all those drugs. Immediately, I was going, "Oh, she was really stressed." Did it come back? No, yeah. no, it didn't. I mean, I I did my my back hurt because you're like kicking and like moving around. Your stomach's all cramped up, so you're like leaned forward. Yeah, so everything hurts still. But uh, it it didn't it didn't kick it back up. I mean, there have been times since then that I get waves of back pain, and if I even think about it for a minute, I'm like, oh, I can 
is my back hurting a little bit or something? Um, but I don't, you know, I don't go into this whole cycle like, oh, here comes a relapse or um, here I'm going into a flare, you know. Like all of the trauma that happened, I can understand why I have those thoughts that surface, you know, because it's very traumatic. All of those years of pain, um, it, it takes a while to work with that. But the thoughts come up now like, oh, my back hurts or I walk 10 miles, I hike 10 miles and... I played nine holes of golf a couple of weeks ago, and I was super sore for a couple days. And the first thought that goes through my mind is, oh, my gosh, you're having a relapse or you're going into a flare. Are you going back into ankylosing spondylitis? And then I just have to remind myself, like, hey, if anybody played nine holes of golf and hiked 10 miles within two or three days, like, they're going to be sore, too. Yeah. You know, especially somebody who has, doesn't do a lot of exercise, right, and has been almost bedridden for years. Like, and it went away. Yeah. And then it it went went away. Away. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it makes complete sense, you know. Anyone that's not in great shape, um, and like you said, bedridden for years, they would hurt after 10 miles of hiking and nine holes of golf. <laughs> yeah. Um, just for sure. Yeah. Okay, let's go in. I think you have so much to offer, I feel, in your clarity of how you specifically healed from AS, the mental and spiritual aspect of that and what you learned from Peter and Ralph that you had to learn in order to heal. Tell me a bit. So the first step was understanding and learning non-resistance. As Peter would say, what you resist persists, right? So the more time that I spent trying to figure out what was wrong with me and the more time I was trying to make the pain go away, the more it stayed around. And the worse it got. And the more I accepted it as time went on, I accepted it and shifted to an attitude of gratitude. Uh, It just went away by itself. Uh, And the non-resistance works in a lot of ways, not just with pain, but with any sort of trigger in your life. Like at work, if you get stressed out, Instead of reacting and having this big emotional reaction, you can observe your thoughts and not have a reaction to it. Um, I like to pretend like I'm like water. You know, something triggers me. I just imagine being like water and just letting it flow through me um, and not reacting to things, really practicing non-reaction, practicing uh, being present, right? It seems like anytime we're in a conversation, we're always trying to think about what to say next. Right. Like, what am I going to add to this? Um, when we're in a podcast, so it's especially hard, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's completely different when you come at uh, situations and life and thoughts being present, being in the present moment, um, coming from a space of love, coming from a space of gratitude, being thankful for AS. If it weren't for AS, I would be talking to you. I would never, I would never have met you. I would have never met a lot of my friends in Austin, you know, I connected with people in Texas. I met people online. Um, I've inspired other people just today. Um, I had a friend's mother reach out to me, and I was able to provide her some coaching and some steps to get started with arthritis. And um, it's completely shifted my spirituality, too. I mean, I used to think I was a spiritual person, um, but I also felt like I was broken. You know, I felt like my soul was hurting and, you know, I was hurting. I didn't want to live. And when I started practicing gratitude, even for pain and for ankylosing spondylitis and for all the hard things in life, um, it really shifted for me. Yeah. Wow. Um, (laughs) That's that's amazing. Um, For you, for me, a big part was uh, anger and how I dealt with it. Is there is there any emotion or any trauma from your past that you're willing to talk about, and or or perhaps what it was like when you first felt what it was like to be present and how that can be healing? If any of that speaks sure. to you that you'd like to expand yeah, on, yeah, sure. I mean, I think we all have trauma um, from our past. I personally, 
I think some of my trauma may have even been from a past life that I just carry around this trauma. Um, but then growing up, I always felt like I wasn't getting what all the other kids had. You know, there was some built-in jealousy, like why does everybody else get to go to college? And you know, I'm not gifted college, and they have cars and clothes, and I don't have this. And it was very much a, a victim mentality for a long time. Um, I didn't, I didn't understand. And sure, there were other actual episodes of of trauma through the years, um, specifically probably some sexual stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, now I, I don't feel like it's critical for me personally to know exactly what that trauma was, but I do feel like it's important to release it, to accept it and to also release it. I learned a new technique recently, uh, with this coach here in Los Angeles because Los Angeles is on the forefront of natural (laughs) healing. Like, I love being here and being around all of these people. Um, it's called TRE, and it's about tremoring. Have you heard about tremoring no. to help with trauma relief? No? No, let's hear about it. <laughs> so essentially, um, when you experience trauma as a human, your body starts to have tremors, right? And you have the shakes after a car accident or some traumatic experience, right? Your body shakes. And um, this guy was watching people after war zones and he noticed that the children were tremoring but the adults weren't tremoring they were just holding themselves right like trying not to tremor and so he thought that was really fascinating and he went out and looked at mammals like animals and he noticed that they would tremor both adult and children would tremor after traumatic experience and so he went back and started doing more research and noticed that as adults when we have trauma we don't tremor anymore. We try to stop it. The emergency teams, they'll give you sedatives to try to get you to stop tremoring because they don't think it's good for you. But it's your body's natural mechanism of releasing that trauma. You can carry trauma in your physical body. And it needs to come out. Like It needs to come out. So there's this technique where you do these weird stretches with your legs and you kind of tire them a little bit. And then you lay on the floor And then you tremor, like your legs start tremoring. And you only do this, like you do it for a few minutes and you take a break. You do it again and you take a break. But you do it for like 10 minutes total. You only have to do it a couple times a week. But after I've done it, I've done it maybe like six or seven times now, I feel amazing. I feel clear-headed. My thoughts aren't as scattered and I just feel better. So there's some amazing techniques coming out now uh, for trauma release. yeah, it's pretty exciting, really. Uh, so I'm, I'm using techniques like that and mindfulness and gratefulness. Um, I've also met a lot of role models here in Los Angeles, um, just being around more conscious people, learning how they carry themselves. Like They slow down. Uh, when they are talking to you, they're fully present in the moment. They're looking at, they're not thinking about something else. Um, there's space between the movements, there's space between your words and understanding that space. And it's okay to have space, allowing your brain to stop for a little bit. And that kind of training has made such a huge difference. What training was that? That sounds, who are these people again that you were training with? (laughs) Or what is the training? Well, that was mostly the Eckhart Tolle, the understanding of the space and the pause, you know, but then seeing it in action, like I understood and I was getting pretty good at it. But here in L.A., like just being around conscious people, it's like, wow, okay, I want to be like them. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know, as far as people listening to this podcast, I can't recommend enough maybe going to find a meditation center, um, People in Los Angeles have community gatherings with music or they do different um, cacao ceremonies or different um, get-togethers to talk about the elements of the earth or just very, very earth-like people. And just being around people who are mindful and conscious has been really inspiring to me. I want to be like them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you are. You are oh, okay, being thank like you. them. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, just looking at my list here of things I'd like to bring up with you. Um, is there is there anything else that you'd like to 
to add that you think we we left out? I just want to leave everyone with hope. You know, I felt so hopeless and I felt like that I was going to be sick forever because that's what the doctor said. You know, they said I was going to be sick forever, so it's just like I was convinced that I was going to be sick forever and it was until I found a podcast like this or a video and it it opened my mind to the possibility. And so I just want to leave people with the hope. Like our bodies are amazing. And there's so much science out there now, if you're that science kind of person around epigenetics and Dr. Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza and more Edgar Tolle. And these guys are recording videos on YouTube for free. These interviews where you can learn about the science of epigenetics and you can learn like your body can heal itself. The body has its own consciousness. Your mind has a consciousness, but your body's taking orders from your mind and then your energy as well. So if you're sending the signal to your body to heal itself, it's, it's going to heal itself. Like, hey, DNA, let's send some good energy down there. Let's fix this, right? I've actually done some Reiki training <laughs> lately, which has been really cool. But um, I would highly recommend watching... Um, Dr. Bruce Lipton, he has the book, which is a little bit nerdy for me. It's you know, super science, which I, I like, but it's just hard to read. So I follow their uh, YouTube videos. And, and I notice like, I have to do something like that either like every day or every couple days just to stay on track. Right? If I go a couple weeks and I don't do any work around mindfulness or watch any of these videos or go listen to old Peter's podcasts or if I fall out of habit, like my thoughts fall out of habit, it's something that you have to kind of consistently maintain. Um, but it is so worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the walking example that you can turn it all around if you believe. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can, I believe that anyone can, I think you have a lot to offer. And, um, do you have any interest in, uh, working with in this field? Or of helping others? Is that anything that interests you? I'm just curious. I know we Yeah, no, actually, it's funny that you asked because I've been kicking it around for about six months. And um, I'm trying to figure out how to help in the best way possible. I mean, obviously, this is kind of my area because I've been through it. And I feel like I can help people with it. Um, I think uh, there's a huge push right now with the Trump administration and the opiates and everything. There are 26.5 million people addicted to opiates. And if you ask me, most of it's because our lives right now are so crazy. Like the earth is hurting and because the earth is hurting, we're hurting and we don't know what to do except for take opiates, you know? <clears throat> so I'd like to help people detox from opiates, um, help them uh, with mindfulness and things of that nature. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to go about it. And I found some certification course, but it's like six months and it's like $6,000 helping chronic pain patients. I mean, it's just a huge commitment. So I'm trying to figure out exactly what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it, but I am going to do something. Yeah. Mm. What's the name of that program? That is a good question. Um, I can look at it while we're talking, but it's this new program that's working in conjunction with the American Medical Association uh, for holistic practitioners. Functional health medicine, is it, by any chance? Let me look up. It'll only take me a second. Also wondering. My, sent it to me. Also wondering um, uh, what. What your um, it, what your if you used exercise or diet to heal? Sure. So this program is called Take Courage Coaching University, hmm. TCCU. And when I looked it up, um, they're associated with the American Medical Association. So there's a lot of work happening between the AMA and holistic practitioners um, to try to do actual certifications, and they. They actually do clinical where they, you know, observe you doing clinical appointments and all of these things. So it's pretty cool. That's cool. Um, exercise, maybe not so much. I still haven't quite <laughs> gone there yet. Uh, although I'm way more active than I used to. I mean, I hike and I walk a lot and I love dancing and 
Uh, but it is time for me to hit the gym now that my body's cleared out from all of the medicines and pain. It's, it's time for me to put on a little more muscle right. <laughs> in my arms. Um, as far as diet, uh, the first few months, I definitely cut down on the starches and sugars um, just to give my body a chance to reset. Yeah, you were saying. Yeah. But after that, I'm, I'm able to eat whatever I want now, and it doesn't cause a flare-up. But certainly the first little bit, just to get things kind of settled down, um, I focus most, mostly on meat and vegetables. Um, as much as I'd like to be a vegan, I just can't. I, I don't weigh enough, and I I feel like I need the animal protein when I go without it for a week. Like I just start feeling a little weak and things, and I know my joints need that um, the like the lubricant from the bones of animals and things like that. So I just ate as much meat and vegetables as I wanted um, and left out the bread part and, and the beer part. Right. <laughs> Copy that. Yeah. Um, if there is any advice that you could give your um, diagnosed self, if you go back in time and tell yourself any little bit of advice, what would you say to yourself? That I was never alone. You know, you're not alone. I felt very alone. Um, I felt like no one understood me. You know, friends, family had no idea what I was going through, but I felt like I wanted to be understood. And I just wish that I didn't waste all of those years trying to be understood and trying to figure out what was wrong with me. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what is wrong. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. I wasted years and years trying to figure it out when I could have been focusing on retraining myself in other areas. Um, and I was never alone. I mean, these days I still spend a lot of time alone, but I never feel alone. I never feel alone. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Lauren. Uh, it really is a huge pleasure to meet you and to have you um, offer everything that you have uh, today. And I think you have a tremendous amount to offer. Uh, again, I don't know, just talking with you, I, I feel like you have a real clarity about where you've been and what you learned. And... Um, and it's really, really affected me. So I know it's going to affect a lot of people. And uh, anyway, thanks a lot. Really pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thanks for reaching out and finding me. And it felt good to share. Good to so hear. So thank you. Yeah. Okay, everybody, thanks for joining in. And thanks for being uh, with us. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please feel free to subscribe to the show. Or if you'd like, write a review. Let me know what you think. And uh, if there's any topics that you'd like covered, please let me know. Favorite episodes. All right. Bye-bye. The text and audio files contained in this program are for information use only. It is not meant to treat, cure, diagnose any medical health condition you may or may not have. For medical advice and treatment, please speak to a medical health professional.